Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Max Reaper of Royals Review. We're using this time off from the regular podcast to focus on Royals history in a segment we call Rewind Yourself. In this series... We plan on looking at some of the overlooked memories in uh, Royals history, from the good to the bad to the ugly. In this episode, we will cover the 2006 Major League Draft. This is Rewind Yourself. We're where you want to be. Baseball with the Royals. If you want to be having a great time. You want to be loving the fun. You want to see all of the excitement. This is the place and we're the one. If you want to be yelling like crazy. And joining me for this episode of Rewind Yourself is Clint Scholes. Clint has written for Baseball Prospectus and now writes at, about Royals prospects and the draft at Royals Academy, which you can find on Patreon for just $4 per month. Clint, thanks so much for joining me today. Anytime, Max. Well, you know, I thought the 2006 draft would be an interesting one to talk about. First of all, it's the only time in Royals history that they've had the number one pick in the draft, uh, which was kind of an ignominious distinction. You don't want to get the number one pick in the draft because it means you were really, really bad the year before. But, of course, if you're going to be bad, you might as well be really, really bad and take advantage through the draft. So I guess before we talk about the 2006 draft, I guess we have to talk a little bit about the 2005 Royals. Uh, they were 56 and 106, which which uh, is was the worst record in baseball that year. Uh, interesting enough, too, um, that was just the second year that they allowed the worst team in baseball to have the first pick in the draft, uh, which was kind of interesting because before that they used to alternate leagues, so the American League would get the first pick some years, and then the National League would get uh, the first pick uh, every other year. And had they continued that through 2006, the Royals actually would not have had the first pick in the draft. Um, they actually would have had the uh, the second pick in the draft. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. They they uh, they they were at least able to get the number one pick that year by being the worst team. But I don't know, Clint. It's certainly not a, a distinction you want to have to have the number one. And then some franchises have had the number one pick uh, quite a few times. Uh, but you know, it's gonna, and it seems kind of weird that out of all the years the Royals are so bad. This is the only time they had the first pick in the draft. Yeah, it's kind of odd. I mean, we had some bad teams, but those teams were like the future Royals. So I think any Royal fan that's been following the team as long as we have, you know, the worst teams. And, and even the last couple of years, I, I I wouldn't put the last couple of years Royals in the in par on par with those those teams and how bad they were in in oh five oh you know oh six. Yeah, that 2005 team, in case you want to refresh your memory, uh, 106 losses. That was a, a franchise record, which still stands, actually. The the recent Royals weren't able to eclipse that record. This is the year that Tony Pena started the year as manager, uh, abruptly quit in May. Uh, Bob Schaefer took over for a few weeks, and then they gave the job to Buddy Bell to finish out the season. Uh, and, and you look at the team, it's, it's, it's a hodgepodge of guys that aren't quite ready for the big leagues and guys that are way past their prime. You've got... Uh, you know, John Buck catching, uh, Matt Stairs, who's still a useful bench player, but he's kind of your regular first baseman at this point. Ruben Gotai probably wasn't quite ready for the big leagues at that point at age 22. Angel Barroa kind of showing that he wasn't going to live up to his rookie of the year billing. Mark Teen at third, who was not too bad, but this is a bit down year for him. Uh, Terrence Long in the outfield, who that, that, that trade didn't really pan out. You have a, a David DeHaze, who's a, who's a solid player in his prime. Emil Brown, who actually put it together a good season. And then Mike Sweeney, who uh, was still a productive player, but limited to 122 games. 
But of course, it was really just the pitching at that point that was disastrous. You had Zach Greinke in in his really terrible season. He went five and seventeen with a five point eight zero ERA. Jose Lima made thirty two starts with an ERA of almost seven, which is just crazy. Uh, Ronelvis <laughs> Hernandez, DJ Carrasco, and JP Howell kind of rounding out that rotation. A couple of intriguing arms in the bullpen. Mike McDougal, uh, Ambriorix, Burgos, Andy Sisko, Jeremy Affel. But that, I mean, I guess, Clint, it's pretty easy to see why that team lost a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just putrid pitching all the way around. And and in a time where the, you know, the, the players were pumped up and, and hitting balls, you know, all over the place, it's not, probably not the, the best... Uh, combination there and then you've got a kid 21 and cranky that you're trying to make an ace and kind of trying to force the entire franchise on him and he just wasn't ready for it i mentally didn't do it yet yeah it's and they obviously they set back his development by doing that yeah and you can see like they had some talent on the team with cranky and, and sweeney and Jesus, uh and even some of those bullpen arms end up you know affled ended up having a nice career uh, but just man, just no depth on that team at all. I mean, you had guys like uh, Joe McEwing getting quite a few, quite a bit of playing time, uh, a lot of innings going to like Mike Wood. Uh, so that was kind of the team in 2005. Now, at that point, Allard Barrett had been with the team. Uh, that was that was his fifth full season with the team, running the team. And you know, Allard Barrett, you know, you could say a lot of things about him. And I think in, as the farther we've gotten away from kind of his tenure with the Royals, I think the more, um, I guess, uh, more understanding we have of the situation. You know, look, he was kind of running the team with one hand behind his back. You know, the team ownership obviously wasn't spending much money on the team. They were a little bit meddlesome, um, uh, interfering with a possible trade for Joe Rand, of Joe Randa at the time. Uh, Bob Dutton told a story about how they had an extension for Carlos Beltran that uh, ownership nixed because uh, over $1 million, which seems ridiculous uh, in hindsight. Um, and so there's a lot of that. You know, the Jermaine Dye trade was kind of forced, uh, not really Allard Baird's doing. So, you know, I, I think we understand that Allard Baird probably didn't run the team the way he wanted to run the team. That being said, a lot of really bad decisions made along the way, uh, particularly when it comes to the draft. Uh, Colt Griffin, Chris Lubansky, guys that just didn't pan out. Uh, and so... After five full seasons, the team really hadn't uh, shown much, many signs of life other than the 2003 season, which I guess uh, made you maybe hope that the 2006 team could maybe get off to a good start and have some of that magic left over. But I don't know. It seems in hindsight, maybe it seems kind of curious that they went with Allard Baird and gave him another season at that point um, and, and because they end up firing him in May anyway. And it just seems weird. Like if they were that close to firing, firing him, why not do that in the off season and give a new guy like a clean slate? Uh, it just, I don't know. Just, the, you know, it, it obviously ended up working out all right, but uh, in the long run, in the really long run, but uh, at the time that seemed like a kind of a puzzling decision. It, I just wonder how much their singular focus was on Dayton because they'd went into Dayton and he turned them down. And, and so I wonder how long that process lasted from when they went to him and he turned him down and then said that he needed this and this and this and to become the, you know, the general manager. So I wonder how much glass had a singular focus on him and, and really attacked that. Maybe let Baird, you know, leave him around a little bit longer than he really needed. Not that it, you know, it mattered. I mean, they had a bad team, you know, in 04, they had the second pick in the draft in 05, they, you know, Gordon and then, turn around and have another terrible team. I mean, you'd think that basically the writing would have been on the wall if they didn't have that fluke in 03. That really is what set it back. And then, you know, maybe that bought him an an extra two years. And and that. so it's kind of an odd thing that, like you said, it's odd that he did stick around so long, especially with they were just hemorrhaging attendance by that time. Yeah, and I, I, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered that, that maybe they were kind of pursuing Dayton Moore at that point. And, and, and Dayton Moore does mention in his book more than a season that the Royals, he rejected the Royals the first time they kind of came to him about the job just because it seemed like such a, a kind of a lost cause. So I, we, we don't know exactly when that was. Um, so it may, perhaps it came in the offseason. But in any case, they, they do go into the 2006 offseason 
with Allard Bader as their general, man- general manager. And uh, they had kind of shed some salary and, and committed to paying more for, for uh, player payroll at that point. And so Dave Moore, or excuse me, Allard Baird kind of went on a mini spending spree that offseason. You know, he was shopping at the dollar store. But, I mean, this is, this is his offseason going into 2006. He signed Reggie Sanders to a two-year $10 million contract, traded for Mark Redman and his $4.5 million salary, um, signed Scott Ellerton to a two-year $8 million deal, signed Mark Grudzelana to a one-year $4 million deal, signed Elmer Descends to a two-year $3.4 million contract, signed Doug McCavich to a one-year $1.85 million contract, signed Joe Mays to a one-year $1 million contract, and signed Paul, catcher Paul Bacco to a one-year $750,000 contract. So a, a bunch of small deals, but those all those small deals add up to like $22 million in payroll in 2006 alone, which is about half the payroll. So, uh, And some of those players worked out. I mean, Mark Ridzelanek was a very solid player. Reggie Sanders was okay when he was on the field, kind of had some injury problems. Uh, some of those guys didn't last very long at all. I think Joe Mays was cut in May. Uh, but it, it just it seems weird that they went into that offseason with Baird as their, or as their general manager and let him spend that kind of money. Not that it's huge money, but for the Royals it kind of was and didn't give like another guy like a clean slate and say, hey, here's $20 million to spend on the team. The 2006 draft, we have the number one pick. Uh, you know, really focus on that because our franchise is going to really depend on that and just give a new guy like a whole new, whole new slate uh, to go with. But they end up not doing that. And, and Allard Baird gets fired in May after the team stumbles off to a, a, poor, a poor start. And, of course, they hired Dayton Moore. Uh, but I guess we should say they, they fired Baird in May. The draft, of course, is in June. Uh, they hired Dayton Moore, but Dayton Moore, of course, says that he can't take over the draft uh, because he's been doing work with the Braves. And, of course, they have you know their scouting reports and intellectual property, and it would be kind of unfair for him to take that over to Kansas City. So he can't take over until after the draft, which kind of puts the Royals in a really weird situation where they have a new general manager, but they he can't can't run the draft, which you think is probably one of the bigger parts of the job. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, I just wonder if we make it a bigger deal than what it actually is because, you know, Derek Ladner wasn't going to be let go until what, I think he was let go, what, like 2008 or so, 2009. I know it was no longer running the draft. That was JJ's first year, but he ran the draft from 06 to you know, that 06 year till 08 when Dayton finally, you know, turned it over to somebody new. So even if Dayton's there, maybe he makes the decision. We don't know. We assume he made the decision on the first pick. We assume that, but we don't know that for sure. And and a scouting director's job is to go out scout and find who they're going to choose. And he did that for the next two drafts with Dayton there. So, you know, it's not as big. It, I think that us riders make it a bigger deal than what it actually was. No, I think you're right. I think like we think of a, like the NFL draft where you do have a general manager making all the picks. But in baseball, it is a lot different. You do have the scouting director really kind of making the picks because he's the one that's been kind of on these guys all year. The general manager probably gives his approval or disapproval or, or you know, may, inter, you know, it, it, it give his opinion when, when it's asked for. But um it's really the scouting director kind of making the call. And you're right, it was Derek Gladnier making the, the decisions in 2006 for the draft. Although, I, and I'm pretty sure Dayton Moore has confirmed this in, in interviews, that the Royals did contact him and said, look, we're down to Luke Hochaver and Andrew Miller. And Dayton Moore said, well, if you want my honest opinion, and these guys weren't being scouted by the Braves because the Braves knew it wouldn't come down, those guys wouldn't come down to their pick. Uh, but he said uh, he thought that Andrew Miller was a bit of an injury risk. Uh, which we'll get into a little bit here in just a minute. Um, and so I, I don't know if that, um, if the Royals weighed that at all. I think they were leaning towards Hochaver anyway, but but I think they, but from what I've heard, or at least uh, what I remember, Dane Moore saying in interviews that he, that he was at least asked about his opinion for the first pick. So let's talk about the, mm-hmm. the, the top of that draft. I think like with, with a lot of the drafts, you know, there's usually like a stud, uh, and I don't maybe not usually, but a lot of years as a stud where you have like a Ken Griffey Jr. or an Alex Rodriguez or a Bryce Harper, where you're just everyone just knows that guy is going to be a star or at least a very good player in the major leagues. And this year, I think 2006, I feel like there wasn't really a super consensus. You know, there wasn't a there wasn't a guy that everyone's like that guy's going to be a star, and B there wasn't really that much of a consensus around 
who was the first pick. I think if the the closest thing we had to a consensus was Andrew Miller, the, who at the time was a left-handed pitcher out of North Carolina, University of North Carolina. Uh, you also have uh, Luke Hochaver, who had been drafted the year before by the Dodgers, and he was considered one of the top pitchers and uh, college pitchers in the country at the University of Tennessee. Uh, but he had, he fell all the way to the 40th pick because of signability concerns, and uh, he had some some rough negotiations with the Dodgers. Of course, his agent is Scott Boris. Um, even the I think things got to the point where Hochaver was at a party and another agent tried to poach him and said, "Look, we can have a deal with the Dodgers for three million dollars if you say so." And Hochaver kind of gave his approval, and he worked out a deal with the Dodgers. And the Dodgers said, "Great, we'll sign you for three million dollars." And Boris kind of said, "Whoa, wait, wait a minute! Uh, I didn't agree to this." And uh, Hochaver kind of t- changed his mind and decided uh, he wanted more money than that, and ended up not signing with the Dodgers. And since he couldn't go back to college, he had to play independent baseball. Uh, I believe for the the, the Air Hogs, the Fort Worth Air Hogs, for a year. Uh, so they were kind of the top two players. Um, so I don't know, like what I don't know if you remember, like the 2006 we were in 2006. But what did what was your, kind of your impression of those two pitchers at the time? Well, you know, just for Miller, he was just so lean and skinny at the time that, you know, he was at North Carolina. I can't remember if he pitched here in Omaha or not. I I swear I saw him pitch in college, but um, he was just so lean. And at that time, you just didn't see starters like that. I think that's pretty common nowadays with Chris Sale and those types. And so I was you know, fine with Hochever as the pick. I know most people believe, and and this goes back to those old days before the slotting, you know, was put in, that Miller was the top talent, but he pushed himself down with his bonus demand, and and that was pretty common back then. You know, Buster Posey did the same thing. Miller, I mean, you know, it was uh, the catcher from the the Orioles. I can't think of off the top of my head. Well, yeah, Weeders did the same thing as well. Um, so that was pretty common that the top talent wouldn't go to the first pick in the draft. And obviously, Moore wasn't you know a guy who was high on on Miller. But I think watching his college you know numbers and all that, that he was the top talent, and the Royals kind of got the second the second best guy. And and uh, at the time, at least they thought was the second best. And I think what a lot of people thought would be the second best. And and so, you know, at that time, it, it seemed like a fine pick. It, you know, I didn't follow the draft closely back then as I do now, you know, and there just wasn't as much information on it. But, you know, you'd watch a little bit of college baseball here and there. And, and it just didn't seem – it wasn't as exciting as, as it is now to me to get the first or second pick and, and having that lock-in. And you know you're getting the first or second best player back then. You, that just wasn't the case. Yeah, baseball is a lot different from the NFL draft in that you 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 know first of all you're not going to see the guy, you know at a minimum for for at least two years if not more, and a lot of things can happen from from the time of the draft until that time, you know injuries he doesn't develop and a lot of those guys just won't even pan out, uh, you know, and even make the big leagues as opposed to NFL draft will where you'll you'll probably see the you know the first round pick in the in the first game, uh so yeah it's a lot different I I remember back then, yeah, the the baseball draft was so lowly regarded it was literally just a conference call and i think that was one of the mm-hmm. 2006 might have been one of the first years they put it on the internet where you could listen in and one of the years i there's like a woman that just like stumbled into the conference call like and you, uh, like all of a sudden you hear this like oh i think i'm on the wrong call <laughs> like, that was just like how not a big deal it was back then uh but well yeah go ahead even today, I mean, they do, you know, the later rounds is pretty much just one big conference call. And, yeah. and so, and that's what I thought was funny about them doing, talking about the difficulties of the NFL draft is with the virus that's going on. I was like, well, MLB does this every year. I mean, this isn't <laughs> a big deal. This isn't difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, uh, so, you know, it wasn't as big a deal and getting the top talent just, unfortunately wasn't a reality in the MLB draft for, you know, a number of years. It was more of a negotiation. I think uh, the Royals kind of wanted to stay around slot value or 
of what the perceived slot value was from off what the guy did the year before and and so they weren't going to get the best talent and and unfortunately you know and i mean i don't think it you know in the hindsight now 2020 then it wasn't that that terrible of a pick between hochever and miller i don't think it worked out you know that much worse i mean obviously miller went on to a slightly better career in the bullpen but we both know where they ended up well the decision at the time was weighing pretty heavily on uh, Derek gladnier he said quote uh, perception is not reality and when you have the number one pick you better be right um so the royals at least i think were kind of saying they needed to nail this pick uh to kind of help their their future uh joe posnanski reported that the royals were kind of down between uh, down to Miller Hochaver. Brad Lincoln out of the Univers- University of Houston, another pitcher, was third on their list. I think he was kind of like their their fallback uh, if things didn't work out with uh, with Hochaver. And this is a draft too, where like you know, you said Miller was asking about he was asking for about six to eight million six to eight million dollars for in a bonus demand. He ended up getting uh, I think about five and a half from the Tigers. Uh, but uh, you know, everyone else was working out pre-draft deals. So uh, you know, the Royals I think. They talk, they you know they called Hochaver asking well, what we'll take to sign you, and if he had come up with a number that they weren't willing to go to, they very well could have gone to Brad Lincoln, and Brad Lincoln had much less of a career than Luke Hochaver. And I really liked Brad Lincoln. Actually, at the time, I was kind of down between Miller and Hochaver. I thought Miller had kind of the same injury problems that um, that Dayton Moore was concerned about because he was what six seven and he was about 180 pounds sopping wet. I mean, he was just super skinny at North Carolina. Yeah. Like a stiff wind could have blown him over and injured him, it seemed like. And I thought that was going to be – and he had kind of a whiplash, kind of uh, a lot of torque on his body. And at the time, I just thought, well, that's going to be an injury, which, you know, he had some injuries problems, but not, I don't think nearly as bad as I thought he'd have. Uh, Hochaver just concerned me a little bit because he was a little bit older because he would have been what, a, what would have been a senior year. And he'd had that kind of year off where he pitched, but it was like the independent league, and you don't know what kind of quality of, of opponent he was facing. And so that concerned me a little bit, although I really liked Hochaver's stuff at the time. I thought he was a great ground ball pitcher, could be a workhorse in the rotation. Uh, I didn't see him as having, like, super high upside or anything like that. Uh, but then Brad Lincoln, I thought, was a guy that kind of split the difference. I was like, well, he, I think, can stay healthy. He um, looks like he has pretty good stuff. Of course, Lincoln's the one that ended up having, I think, Tommy John surgery and ended up missing a big portion of his career. Uh, so so I ended up being really wrong about that. There was a guy that was getting a lot of attraction at the time on internet message boards, uh, and I'm sure probably a lot of buzz around baseball, named Tim Lincecum. He was a University of Washington pitcher uh, who had a quirky delivery, uh, was a little bit undersized, uh, which I think is why a lot of internet uh, fans liked him so much because he was kind of overlooked. Um, and, of course, Lincecum ended up having a pretty darn, probably a better career than I think you could say a better career than Miller or Hochaver. Uh, what do you think of Tim Lincecum? Uh, did you know much about him as a draft prospect at the time? Yeah, you know, that was the guy that everybody just kind of talked about because he was undersized, and I think everybody just kind of goes for the underdog role, and that's kind of where he came in at. And He was kind of Trevor Bauer before Trevor Bauer as far as, you know, funky stuff, and dad taught him to pitch, and and so he was, you know, his dad was, I forget, was his dad like a, he was some kind of engineer as mm-hmm. well. And so he engineered his delivery. And so that was the fun stuff with him. It just never seemed like that was a reality at all for the Royals. It really, it really came down it, to me. It was down to Hochaver Miller. But, you know, Lincecum was the fun stuff. He got, there was some talk about, I mean, of the Royals being cheap. I thought at the time maybe Scherzer was an option. That was kind of a guy I paid attention to a little bit more because he was, you know, the University of Missouri. So, I, you know, back then you just assume that you, you didn't know as much. And so you kind of watched him and you figured, well, maybe this is a guy, if they want to save money, that they're going to go to. That You know, and, and that was really never an option either just because I think mean, Scherzer's kind of scared him off as far as with his attitude and stuff like that but but yeah I mean Lincecum got off to such a great career and you know great start and whipped right through that everybody was really down on you know every team at the top of the draft afterwards with you know everybody missed and this is the guy this is the the stud out here and 
as soon as he came, as, as soon as he went, you know, unfortunately for his career, but the dynamite two or three years and, and, you know, in between, but yeah, he was kind of like, a, he was the Trevor Bauer before Trevor Bauer came along or came out five, five years later and engineered himself into being a first round pick and a top five pick. And, and once it was kind of that same way with dad engineering the rotation and all that, or engineering his delivery. And, and so I never really thought he was an option. I thought more, you know, Ocher, like he said, um, Brad Lincoln, guys like that, Andrew Miller, and then maybe Max Scherzer was kind of on my mind just because he was kind of local. And there was one guy, uh, the, probably the top hitter in the draft, uh, I think got, got some attention, but it was Evan Longoria, who at the time I think was at Long Beach State. Uh, but I think he was quickly mm-hmm. dismissed because the Royals already had their future third baseman at, with Alex Gordon in the system. And not that you should draft for knee, but I think the feeling was this is a pitcher-heavy draft at the top. The Royals really need pitching. It makes more sense to get a pitcher. Of course, Longoria wins Rookie of the Year and has a you know, tremendous uh, career. Uh, but I don't, I don't remember at all any discussion of him for the Royals. I think there was some discussion for him as a top-five pick. But, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of talent loaded in this draft. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about Clayton Kershaw, who is uh, selected uh, by the Dodgers as a seventh pick. No talk of him as, as being a top five pick or some at the top of this draft. And he ends up being the best player in this entire first round. Uh, 67 war so far, you know, all the Cy Youngs and all the accolades he has. And he was just kind of an underrated uh, Texas high school pitcher uh, who, who I'm sure some teams thought was good. Uh, in fact, I think Keith Law reported that uh, if Andrew Miller had been selected before, you know, before they got to him at uh, at pick number was it number uh, six, then they would have taken Clay, Clay, Clayton Kershaw. So in a, in a world where the Royals take Andrew Miller, Clayton Kershaw is terrorizing them in the Central Division with the Tigers for years and years and years. So I don't know if that deal, I don't know if that would have worked out any better for the Royals. Uh, but it's interesting that Keith Law said before this draft that it was a weak draft. I, I don't think that was like. That, that was the consensus, I think. it was People did not think this was that spectacular of a draft, and I think it's because there wasn't a consensus number one guy, a, a guy that you know just looked like he was going to be a superstar. But when you look back at this draft now, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Evan Longoria, Tim Lincecum, uh, Ian Kennedy was in this draft as a supplementary pick. A very good career for him. Andrew Miller. Um, you know, it's a, it ended up being a pretty good... And, and Luke Hochaver had a career that, you know, I think he can be very proud of. I mean, it's not like he was a total bust or anything like that. I, but I think when he gets compared to some of these other guys that Royals passed on, that that's inevitably going to get uh, people to kind of, I think, be a little bit negative on the pick, maybe unnecessarily so. I don't think you'll find many drafts. Maybe I'm wrong that you have three guys with well over 50 war, you know, yeah. for baseball reference for in the first round. I mean, that's not a common thing like people think it you know it might be and this draft was deep i think i was looking at it the other day and you know you had i mean it went 19 rounds deep with top you know i think tommy fan was in the 19th round i mean there was quality throughout this draft it's really pretty outstanding what it ended up being if everybody didn't think it was a very good draft and you know you have a guy like I think uh, Callis wrote about Drew Stubbs possibly being a first-round pick, our first pick if Moore was running the team at the time. And, you know, Drew Stubbs wasn't a great player, but, he, you know, he was a solid player. I think I think Royals fans would have been fine with that type of pick, a center fielder with some tools, and that kind of fits. You know, the Longoria didn't really fit for a position player, but Drew Stubbs, if you look at what the Royals like, you know, maybe that would have been a pick that they could have made that uh, probably fits their mold of what they like with athletic outfielders and some power. And, and you know, he definitely had that at the time, and he was coming out of Texas. So if they were going to go alter and not go the pitching route, maybe that would have been where they they ended up. But, uh, yeah, this draft was pretty deep. I mean, like you said, Ian Kennedy, uh, you know, Tim Lincecum, Want to say, you know, multiple Cyans, Brandon Morrow, Adam Ottavina is still kicking around. Ottavina is still kicking around. Uh, yeah, just Java Chamberlain is kind of similar to Lincecum, real flash. Then, you know, not long out of the, you know, before he's out of the league. So, Chef was something else. And, uh, 
he ended up being one of the better ones kind of in that time period. So Baseball America did an analysis of the last 40 years of the draft just to say, like, which was the best draft class. So the 2006 draft they have as the fourth best draft of all time. Uh, it actually, uh, as of 2019, of last year, middle of last year, had uh, combined 266 war in the first round alone. So that's a pretty deep draft. Uh, the only drafts they have ahead of it are the 2011 draft, which had uh, Garrett Cole, Francisco Lindor, Anthony Rendon, George Springer, Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray, Jose Fernandez, and Javier Baez. The number two is a 2005 draft, which had Justin Upton, Alex Gordon, Ryan Braun, Troy Tulowitzki, Andrew McCutcheon, Ryan Zimmerman, and Jacoby Ellsbury. And the number one draft is a 1985 draft, which had Barry Bonds, uh, him alone would have made that a great, great draft, but you also had Rafael Palmero, Hall of Famer Barry Larkin, Will Clark, and B.J. Suroff. So, yeah, this is one of the best drafts of the last, of, you know, of my lifetime, really. Uh, and, you know, you kind of feel bad that the Royals didn't do better, I guess. But, like I said, Hochaver carved out a nice career for himself. Uh, you know, certainly was some tough going at first as a starter, but he kind of found his niche as a reliever. Ended up being a, a pretty important part of, of a couple pennant winners and a World Series championship, championship team. So uh, not a bad outcome, I think, for the Royals, although it certainly didn't seem so for a while. Um, the, the response to Hochaver at the time was, was he was a pretty good pick. Here's what Keith Law said at the time. He said, quote, I think he was the most complete starting pitcher package in the draft this year. My concern with him is how he handled himself in the September debacle where he agreed to a deal with the Dodgers and then reneged on it. But his stuff and command are good. And he threw well in Indy Ball in May. It's a good pick at number one, but perhaps not the optimal one. I also, uh, in a chat, would later say Andrew Miller is a good name, but I think Brad Lincoln will look the best five years from now. So that ended up not being the case. But, Keith, I'm with you. I thought Brad Lincoln was going to be really solid, and uh, it ended up not being uh, quite all that. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. All right, we're just looking, taking a look back at the 2006 draft, and I thought we'd just go back and kind of redraft uh, to see how things would go if, if uh, things went a little bit different, if we had the benefit of hindsight. And so, Clint, uh, you got I'll, since you're our guest, I'll, I'm going to let you have the number one pick. Who are you taking with the number one pick in this? And we're just going to stick with the guys in the first round. We'll talk about some of the names beyond the first round after this, but uh, who would you take with the number one pick in this draft? You know, a couple of years ago, this would probably be you know, not where you would go. But I just because where they're at right now and I think where they're going to be in the next two, three years, I think I'd go Scherzer number one just because, you know, Kershaw seems to be slowing down. He obviously got off to the better start. But I think I'd go with Max Scherzer right now as it stands today. It just doesn't seem like you can go wrong with any of the first three picks. I mean, you got no, I mean, a, a combined yeah. eight Cy Youngs between Scherzer, Lincecum, and Kershaw. I love I love Max Scherzer. I think he's he's a beast out there. Uh, you know, I don't believe in the Clayton Kershaw postseason myth, but man, Scherzer's pretty yeah. nails in the postseason. Uh, so yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, I'm, I'll go with Clayton Kershaw just because he is so dominant when he's healthy. Um, and you know, like it's, to me, it's it, it, I think it says a lot about development that the Dodgers found him and you know look and obviously he was considered to be really good because he was the seventh pick in the draft but he wasn't considered the top talent in the draft necessarily and they took a high school kid which this is the, you know, the money ball era where teams were kind of or at least the the media and a lot of people were kind of dissing on high school pitchers at the time saying how uh, 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 difficult and unpredictable they were 
And so they were able to take this high school kid from Texas and turn him into a three-time Cy Young winner. And that's I think that says a lot for the and you know the Dodgers have been, have been developing pitchers for you know a gen, you know two generations really. So uh, nothing really surprising there. So who are you taking with the number three pick? Well, I got to go with Longoria there. I mean, he ended up he helped turn that franchise around uh, from taking the Rays and he ended up signing for a great deal. You know, with the Rays, so I I I'd go you know Longoria. He ended up being, you know, a franchise player for that team, and, and it worked out perfect for where they ended up selecting him. Yeah, the Rays had the three, third pick, and they took Longoria, the third pick. I should point out that the Rockies had the second pick in the draft. They took Greg Reynolds, a, stand, a pitcher out of Stanford, who I don't really remember there, there being that much buzz about him. He must have worked out a pre-draft deal, and they must have really liked him, but he ended up uh, not being very good at all. He won six games in the big leagues, made 33, uh, pitched the 33 games in the big leagues. Uh, I think he's probably the the probably the biggest bust you could say in the first round. Uh, they should have taken Kershaw, Scherzer. <laughs> so, uh, so the Pirates had the fourth pick, and for them, I'll take uh, I'll take Timmy Lincecum just because I, I was a big fan of his. I just love his delivery. Uh, it reminds me a lot of how I pitched when I was younger. Uh, just kind of max effort and and uh, you know limbs flailing, and uh, you know he's he's a fun guy to watch, and he had a very brief. Uh, I guess run. I guess when you, you know it wasn't it wasn't like he was around for a long time. But man, when he was when he was good, he was really really good there for a couple of years. So with the fifth pick, uh, Seattle Mariners would would have been on the clock. So you, who are you uh, taking for the Mariners? Well, I mean, when you talk about the Dodgers and their development, doesn't it just fit up? If I go off round here, I'm taking Justin Turner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he went in the seventh round there. And isn't it just something that the Dodgers end up just by war? By reference more than I'm looking here, they ended up with two of the most valuable players in this draft. This, you know, extremely deep draft, and they they didn't draft Justin Turner at the time, but they ended up trading for him and turned him into a great player by altering his swing mechanics and doing all that. So you know, I'm going to go off the board, off the first round board, and go with Justin Turner with that with that pick. Yeah, he bounced around with the Orioles and then the Mets uh, before uh, latching off the Dodgers and really turning his career around. So, yeah, I think that says a lot about their development as well. Uh, with the sixth pick, uh, the Tigers pick, uh, you know, they're the ones that spent the money on Andrew Miller. So, But I'm going to go a different direction. I'll go with uh, USC pitcher Ian Kennedy. Uh, I was I was a longtime fan of Kennedy's uh, when he was with the, the uh, Padres and Diamondbacks. He actually was drafted by the Yankees but was involved in a trade Actually, a three-way trade for Max Scherzer, uh, with Scherzer going to the Tigers, uh, Kennedy going from the Yankees to the Diamondbacks at the time. Uh, but I was a big fan of his uh, through his time with the Dodgers and or Diamondbacks and Padres. I was actually pretty happy when the Royals got him, just not the price they got him at, uh, which kind of turned out to be a little bit accurate because uh, he was pretty good his first year in Kansas City. But uh, the last couple of years have been a little a little pricey. But uh, who you uh, who do you have for the uh, let's see where we're at the seventh pick? which will be the Dodgers pick. Okay, the Dodgers pick. So, you know, for the Dodgers, I think I'll go with Miller just because he ended up being so dominant there. I mean, out of the bullpen, the Dodgers are going to be a com- competitive team at all times, no matter where they end up. Yeah, he doesn't end up working as a starter, but he ends up becoming, you know, a really key piece on some playoff teams, the bullpen. I mean, he's a part of that Orioles team that, you know, we watched uh, the Royals beat last week. If you're doing the rewatch, and then he ended up being part of the Indians team. You know, so he ended up being, you know, not the starter that everybody had hoped for, but he ends up being a pretty valuable bullpen piece that really keyed some playoff runs for some teams. Yeah, it's kind of he could kind of took a very similar path that Luke Hochaver took, where he was kind of a disappointment as a starter. Miller actually got traded from the uh, Tigers to the Marlins for in that Miguel Cabrera deal. And then he kind of bounced around to the Red Sox, uh, where he kind of found his niche as a as a dominant reliever, like Luke Hochever found his niche as well. So, um, yeah, I wonder how you know he fell from being considered the top pick, and he fell all the way to number six. And I wonder if the Tigers hadn't selected him there, how far he would have fallen because of his bonus demands. I mean, you know, maybe the Dodgers take him at seven if Kershaw's off the board, but I don't think the Reds would have spent a lot of money. I don't think the Orioles would have spent a lot of money. Maybe the Giants at ten take him, uh, but he could have really fallen pretty far, um, you know, maybe down as far as like the Yankees or something, something like that. 
the Yankees actually end up signing uh, Jabba Chamberlain, who was another guy like that, who's considered one of the better pitchers in the draft, but fell for signability reasons as well. So it uh, would have been interesting to see if, if Miller would have fallen. Um, with the eighth pick, this is the Reds pick, uh, I'm going to take uh, – uh, let's see, who am I going to take here? I'll take Brandon Morrow. Uh, he had a decent career there. It, it looks like it may be close to over. He's been he's had a lot of injury problems, but for a couple of years there, he was a pretty he was an okay starter for a year or two, and then kind of carved out a nice career as a reliever. Um, he's had some injury problems, but you know when we're talking about the major league draft, it starts thinning out really quick. <laughs> so I'll take uh, I'll take Brandon Morrow next. Um, so with the ninth pick, the Orioles pick, who do you got? Um, you know, I think I'll go with. Uh... Adam Montevino, he uh, he's carved out a nice, you know, kind of similar career to to Miller, just out of the bullpen, just really, you know, steady. Been very dominant the last couple of years from that pen. Um, you know, just outstanding for the Rockies and then the Yankees last year. Seventy appearances each of the past two years, seventy plus appearances. I mean, the guys. Uh, he's seen, you know, despite being 33, he just seems like he keeps getting better and better each year. And so, you know, right now he's not that high on the on the war list. He's like just under 11. I think he'll pass tomorrow this year if he, you know, can stay healthy if they if they play games. So I think uh, that'll be the guy I'd go with with that pick. With the 10th pick for the Giants, um, I'll, I'll take probably more for nostalgia than anything. I'll take Luke Hochaver. Uh, his war is only 3.7, but some of that's, I think, dragged down by some bad years as a starter. Uh, when he did move to the bullpen, I think he was a really, really solid reliever. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he always seemed like a good guy. I mean, you know, I think he was a good good uh, presence in clubhouse. And, um, uh, you know, like I said, part of a couple of really good championship teams and, and uh, a really solid player. And, one, you know, when we talk about this being one of the better drafts, it really starts, you know, it's really top heavy. I mean, it starts thinning out in the first round after that. You, 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 after this point, we're talking about guys like uh, Drew Stubbs, who you mentioned, uh, who was taken eighth by the Reds. You have Jabba Chamberlain, who looked like he was going to be really good, but just couldn't stay healthy. He was taken uh, in the supplementary round by the Yankees. Chris Perez, also supplementary pick by the Cardinals. Uh, outfielder Travis Snyder was taken by the Blue Jays 14th. It looked like he was going to be a really big star and just never really panned out for him. Daniel Bard, another um, reliever who had some injury problems. Uh, he was taken 28th by the Red Sox. So it, it really starts thinning out pretty pretty well after that. You did mention, though, that after the first round, there were some pretty good picks. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, – who did you mention? Was Tommy it, uh, Pham. I mean, yeah, yeah Tommy Jeff Pham. Samarja. Um, I'm just looking at it now. John Jay, you know, solid career. Um Jeff Samarja is like in the fifth round. Jeff Samarja, who at the time was a wide receiver for Notre Dame, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of people said he was a first round talent, but they thought he was going to go to the NFL because a lot of NFL teams were eyeing him as a as a future receiver. But the money's in baseball, <laughs> so yeah, so that, uh, at least the, staying know, healthy just, <laughs> is in baseball, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and just in the seventh round, you had Justin Turner and Doug Fister, both guys, you know, Fister's a nineteen war, you know, Justin Turner's. Approaching thirty, uh, eighth round, you had Dylan Tantas. I mean, this this draft got really, you know, it just kept going with quality major leaguers. Uh, David Freeze, you know, in the ninth round. So it, Mark Melanson in that same round. Will Harris. Those guys are still kicking around, still doing well, still you know working out a little thing, racking up numbers. So Desmond Jennings in the tenth round. I mean, it just kept going. It's Pretty impressive, you know. Guy like guy that a couple guys, uh, one didn't sign. Nate Carter, he didn't sign in the tenth round of that year. But Chris Medlin, a couple guys that Royals fans, you know, know about and watch play in Kansas City, um, at least for a short time in Carnes' <laughs> case. But uh, yeah, it just kept going with with quality players through deep into the rounds, and and, and Tommy Fan, I think, was like nineteenth round or something like that. Yeah, this draft so actually it was a deep draft, even though, yeah, it was pretty top heavy, like you said, as far as the big guys. Yeah, this draft was like this built. This draft built the 2014 Orioles. You have uh, Chris Tillman, who was selected in the second round by the Mariners. You have Zach Britton, who the Orioles took, and you have Chris mm-hmm. Davis, who the Rangers took. So right there, that's like a lot of their team when they were actually a pretty good team. 
Trevor Cahill, Royals fans are familiar with. Brett Anderson was taken by the A's. Uh, Josh Reddick. Uh, Chris Archer. So, yeah, it's a, it a pretty impressive draft. Uh, not just in the first round either. So, um, a, lot of good, got a lot of good players came out this year. Um, the Royals draft, of course, they had the first pick in every round this draft. Didn't really go that well for them. And, look, they were a franchise and kind of transition. Uh, so, you can excuse them a little bit. A lot of stories about how... Uh, the ownership was skimping on scouts at the time. Uh, it's something that Dave Moore turned around once he took over. You look at the draft class; it's pretty, it's pretty thin. It's not, not a lot to brag about. You have Hochaver in the first round. Uh, they took Jason Taylor, a shortstop out of Virginia Beach, uh, a high schooler, in the second round. Uh, I believe he had some either discipline issues or, or uh, some off the field issues that really hindered his career. Third round, you had Blake Wood, who is one of the probably one of the better picks they make in this draft out of Georgia Tech. He had some injury problems, but was a, had a couple uh, okay years as a reliever. Derek Robinson was their fourth pick, fourth round pick, a speedy outfielder out of Gainesville, Florida. And then their fifth pick was uh, pitcher Jason Godin out of Old Dominion University. Only other players that reached the big leagues out of this draft class, Everett Tieford, taken in the 12th round out of Georgia Southern. He had uh, 49 games in the big leagues. You have Brad Boxberger, who the Royals selected in the 20th round out of high school. He actually did not sign. Ends up going to USC, and the Reds take him, and Boxberger ends up playing for the Royals in 2019. Uh, you have Rocky Gale, who they took in the 49th round out of high school uh, in Oregon. He did not sign as well. Ended up, uh, I believe, going to the Dodgers. And then the 50th round, you have uh, one of the, I guess, their best pick out of this entire draft, uh, Draw Dyson. Uh, and, I mean, just what an amazing find in the 50th round. A round that they don't even have anymore. But they find Gerard Dyson out of Mississippi Delta Community College uh, in the 50th round, and he ends up being the be- better than the guy they took first overall. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy how close that didn't come to, you know, close to happening. Um, Scouts saw him in Mississippi, went to see somebody else. Uh, Gerard was running, of course. That would be what, you know, highlights and, and intrigued the scout. and. And Art, you know, Stewart had, according to Alex Lewis, latest piece in the Athletic, had somebody else's card ready to turn in. And then at the last second, the scout gets the uh, his boss on the phone, and, and they call up uh, Derek, and Derek decides to, you know, switch it up and, and have Art, you know, draw Gerard's name instead. I mean, it came so close to not even happening. And Gerard and, and his personality and and his drive and the kind of guy he is, he's one of the key cogs of those 14, 15 teams. I mean, he's not, you know, he's a bench player, but his personality and his drive and, and how he, you know, carried himself really, I think, ended up being a reason that those guys became what they became. And so it was so close to not happening at all. And who knows where his life goes if he's not chosen in the MLB draft. Yeah, and who knows where the Royals are. The Royals may not, maybe maybe don't win the wild card game or don't win a pennant without him. Uh, really amazing. He was a, he was a 1,475th player taken in the draft, and he ended up with 15.5 war. And, of course, he's still playing, so he could still accumulate more. But that's better than all but four players in the first round. So the only players in the first round that did better than him Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Evan Lagoria, and Tim Linscomb. Oh, and, and Ian Kennedy. So I'm sorry, five players better than him. So he did better than everyone else in that draft, uh, which is really remarkable considering he was one of the last players taken. So, I mean, if that's not inspiration for anyone that's out there that, you know, people are telling them they don't, they don't have a chance to make it to the big leagues, well, you know, look at Draw Dice, and he overcame a lot of obstacles to get there and uh, ended up making the most of it. So, yeah, a really interesting draft when your, your 50th round pick makes it better than the first pick, but uh, that's the way it went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of what just shows you what a crapshoot the, you know, the the baseball draft can be sometimes. No, definitely, definitely. And, it's, you know, and that's the unfortunate part with what's going on and, and MLB trimming, you know, everything up. And, you know, I'm pretty sure they're going to have probably 21 rounds, you know, let alone 50. And so those kind of stories just might never happen and you might not, not see them. And, you know, it turned into a great story for Gerard and probably changed his family's life, not just him, but his family's trajectory for years to come. Well, hopefully the Royals will never again have the number one overall pick in the draft. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I know the rebuilding, but it just, uh, it just, I don't like being in that situation where you have the first pick in the draft. So, uh, but it was, you know, Clint, thanks so much for 
for taking this walk down memory lane and, and revisiting the draft. Uh, tell us where we can find Royals Academy and uh, where we can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Clint Scholes, C-L-I-N-T-S-C-O-L-E-S, and uh, read my stuff at Patreon at patreon.com slash Royals Academy. And uh, speaking of the draft, I just posted a couple of articles this week about uh, players in the draft that I like. So you can read that stuff there by subscribing. Well, I have you. I guess we should ask, like, what do you uh, what are you thinking about what Major League Baseball is going to do with the draft, and um, where do you think the Royals might go with their pick? Um, you know, I'm not a fan of, of them trimming the draft. I understand it, and I get it if they're going to limit, you know, pull back on minor league teams. Um, so I'm not a fan of that, but I think it's coming whether I like it or not, unfortunately. Um, but as far as the players that they, they could choose, I, I really think Nick and Nick Gonzalez has kind of checks all the boxes for that team. Um, he's an up the middle player. Lonnie seems to like players that are up the middle. I think lines up at second base, uh, just a great kid, great guy heck of a work ethic. I mean, he's worked himself. When we talk about Gerard, you know, Gerard was a 50th round pick that worked himself, you know, into being a productive major leader. Nick Gonzalez is a walk-on at New Mexico State that's turned himself into possibly the fourth overall pick in the draft or, or maybe even higher. And so that's a kid that you really, you know, really like and really root for and kind of for what the Royals need position, you know, I think they're pretty loaded in arms. I think uh, that's a good fit to put in a bat that can maybe move and through the minor leagues fairly quickly. So I think that is probably where they're headed. I'll be surprised if that's not, ends, ends up not being the pick. Yeah, well, definitely follow Clint on Twitter, and, and I definitely recommend subscribing to Royals Academy just to get the all the latest uh, news. And, you know, I'm you're constantly writing about prospects that I've never heard of that, I, that are should probably be on, on everyone's radar screen. So a lot of interesting stuff that you're not going to find really anywhere else because I don't think anyone else is really covering the the what's going on on the farm quite as extensively, at least not in the mainstream media, as uh, some of the great bloggers like yourself and, and Royals Farm Report. So so definitely subscribe and, and follow Clint. And Clint, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on. We'll have to do it again maybe closer to the draft. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, man. All right. That will do it for Rewind Yourself. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.